Uh, hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm not sure if you can hear it, but there's a dripping tap in the background. <laughs> I hope you can hear it. I hope it's not distracting, but if you do, I do apologize. Okay, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Okay, all right. Uh, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Solomon dies in the previous chapter, and here in the beginning of 1 Kings 12, Rehoboam, his son, now ascends to the throne. Verse 2, and as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, you know, the guy's dad, he ran away from him. But when he heard about this, verse 2, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Verse 3, and he sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days, then come back to me, and the people went away. So Jeroboam represents the union <laughs> of all the tribes of Israel. They come to King Rehoboam and say, you know what, your dad was a really tough boss. Please, please, could you be a better boss, be more lenient on us, and you know what, we'll serve you. And so he's offering to acknowledge his kingship um, in exchange for just grace, you know, exchange for just leniency um, on their workload. And what Rehoboam says is, I'll think about it, you know, come back in three days. Okay, let's pick up from verse six. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men, you know, all the uncles who stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? And he said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. So if you'll be the kind of king who serves, he keeps hearing that word, serve, serve, serve. If you serve them, they will serve you. And that's kind of like the model of servant leadership. You find a lot in the Bible. Um, today, actually, we're talking about, sorry to go on a tangent, we're talking about the new PM, who would be the new PM. And we had Bible study today and I asked them, you know, who would like to be the next PM of the UK? And one of them said, no way. It's such a big responsibility. It's so messy and it is a mess. Um, but I think that's because we think Prime Minister means, you know, privilege, you know, power. But, you know, what if Prime Minister meant that you could serve people, you use that position to be humble, you know, you made everyone's lives better. And, you know, even the word Prime Minister means the first servant. And that's the advice that the old guys who served Solomon gave to the new guy, King Rehoboam said, serve them, and if you do this, they will willingly serve you. Verse 8, but, <laughs> but, he abandoned the counsel of the old men, gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him, who went to school with him, his buddies. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who had said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, his hing thai, you know, thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus, 
shall you say to them, "My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs"? <laughs> wow, that's a very fat finger, bigger than the thigh. Meaning, I'm more powerful. <laughs> I'm a bigger man than my dad. You think I'm smaller? You think I'm a linear? No, I'm going to be even more kingly, more powerful, more, more proud. I guess. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, verse eleven, I will add to your yoke. You're going to do much more under my management. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Scorpions, <laughs> essentially saying, "I'm going to make your life difficult. You need to listen to me. You need to fear me and respect me." I think, in his mind, honestly, I think you know, no one wants to be the bad guy, but everyone. Oh, sorry, that was my robot vacuum. But everyone wants to be a badass. <laughs> that so he wants to be the badass king. He wants people to fear him, and not ask him for leniency or annual leave. <laughs> <laughs> but do their job and do it even more under him to show that he's even more in control compared to his dad. Yeah, yeah. You can you you, you can tell <laughs> you can tell where this is going. You know, this is this is going in a very bad direction. Yeah. Anyway, okay, verse twelve. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king said, "Come, come to me again on the third day," and the king answered the people harshly. And forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, "My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions." Ah, ah, so sad. Verse fifteen. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. Interesting, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So at one level, King Jeroboam, sorry, King Rehoboam, or King Hobo, <laughs> was a jerk. You know, he was just so arrogant. He wanted to be this badass. And immediately, you know, he he just he just ignored the people. And uh, but what's interesting is God made this happen. Verse fifteen: It was the turn of affairs brought about by the Lord to fulfill His word. God put this arrogance in His heart to cause Him to lose the support of the people. So it is very interesting. Verse 16, and when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now look to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents uh, symbolically, you know, saying, we're going to go home. We're not going to acknowledge you as king. We're going to leave. You're going to abandon you. We're not going to acknowledge your kingship. At verse 17, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. But he remained, so he had still influence in just one tribe, um, the cities of Judah. Verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. <laughs> uh, so he sent him a new supervisor and they killed him. 
<laughs> stone them with stones. They again a sign of their hatred of the new king, but also rejection, rejection of his rule. They are no longer going to acknowledge him. They essentially have split apart from uh, this 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 tribe and from this king, and they're just going to be self-governing now. And King Rehoboam hurried to his mount to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. <laughs> so he was really afraid. He ran for his life. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So very interesting. Again, verse 15, this was something that God did. God foretold that he would uh, take the kingdom away from Solomon, but it wouldn't happen during the times of Solomon. It would happen during the times of his son. And, in, and God gave this prediction through the prophet Ahijah. This is verse 15. And he gave it through the prophet to King Jeroboam. And in fulfillment of everything that he said, Jeroboam is now king. In fulfillment of everything that God said that he would do in judging Solomon, you know, he took the kingdom away from Rehoboam and now gave it to King Jeroboam. So just pausing here to see two things that are happening. On the one hand, God did this. On the other hand, King Rehoboam did this. You know, King Rehoboam was being a jerk. He listened to the wrong people. He just ignored the people. And so he deserved to lose the kingdom. But on the other hand, there, and the bigger picture is this, God caused this to happen. God caused them to be arrogant. God caused the people to ask to, for their work to be lightened. And ultimately, God caused the kingdom to be taken away and given to another person, to one of his servants. And remembering that this was God's judgment on idolatry. Not just that immediate problem of him being a jerk and not listening to people, but because his father abandoned God and worshiped idols. And therefore, God was pouring out his judgment on him, on his whole dynasty, and God on, God on the whole tribe. And so this caused the kingdom to be split apart simply because they had abandoned God in his word. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, let's pick up from verse, 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 verse 21. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So he tries to get the kingdom back uh, and he gets 180 soldiers already all armed and ready to go to war to get the kingdom back. Verse 22, but the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up, go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. So God was telling them that all this is happening in fulfillment of his word. And here God's word is not just saying, you know, the Bible, but God's word spoken that reveals God's will done. God says this will happen and therefore it happened. 
And as a result, God was able to um, well, stop this potential war. They were about to fight against their own brothers. And he says, you know, you need to understand that all this has happened because I caused it to happen. Not a very easy thing to accept if you're from, you know, the kingdom of Judah. You know, you just lost, you just split from your brothers. Or even if you're King Rehoboam, that you just lost the kingdom. But it shows that sometimes God's word comes to us in fulfillment of judgment. And uh, the most humble thing is to accept it, you know, not, and to repent, not to try to fight against it, not to try to blame others for it, but to recognize why is it? Why is it that God is bringing about this judgment? God is fulfilling his promise, sorry, fulfilling his promise that he would take the kingdom away because of their disobedience towards him. Okay, uh, let's finish up one last paragraph. Verse 25, then Jeroboam, the other guy, the other king, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. So lots of construction, lots of development under his kingship in the northern kingdom of Israel. Verse 26, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. Mm -hmm. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two cows of gold, two baby cows of gold. And he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Ah, so very interesting. So he's paranoid that people will go to worship God in the temple. And remember, the temple is down south. It's still in Judah. It's still in King Rehoboam's territory. And so in his mind, and this makes some logical sense, he's worried that people are going to go down there and worship God there and think, hey, you know what? You know, this is where I belong. Maybe we should let bygones be bygones and forgive the king and accept him as our king again, submit ourselves to him. Why? Because the temple is here, you know, this is the city of David, and this is the king who is descended from David. And not only that, he's worried that they'll kill him. <laughs> Verse 27, they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he's very paranoid. He's very, very insecure that he will lose the kingdom because of this place of worship. And so what he does is he creates his own place of worship, you know, um, in his own backyard. And he puts in some innovation to it. He made two golden cows. And these two golden cows or two golden baby cows, cows, should remind us of the Exodus when the people, um, who is it, Aaron, Moses' brother, made these, made a golden calf and they worshiped it. And he says, you know, this is the gods that brought you out of Egypt. He maybe took a page out of that, but he forgot that that was why God was angry with them. <laughs> but still, uh, it, it's an overt picture of idolatry. So he's intentionally causing idolatry so people will worship these gods instead of the God who is in Judah. Verse 29, he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. So 
two places, two options. They are more convenient than going all the way down to Jerusalem. Verse 30, then this thing became a sin. Abedin. Yeah, but the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. Oh man, this guy is just breaking every rule in the book. <laughs> God has strict rules about who could serve as priests, you know, only from this particular tribe. He said, you know, forget that, you know, I'll choose the people that I want. I'll set up the places of worship that I want to different gods as well, you know, temples and high places. I wonder if these temples were to other gods. Maybe, maybe. But either way, you know, he was innovating. Um, and he was just creating more options for people to stay within the kingdom and not go back to the old kingdom. Uh, and Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he copied one of the main celebrations, holidays that was in Judah. Um, where, where, where was it? So did he did in Bethel sacrificing to the cows that he made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. Verse 33, he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel, and on the 15th day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. Uh, and he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Yeah, I just want to compare the dates. So the first feast, 15th day of the eighth month, and the second, verse 33, 15th day of the eighth month, says, in the month that he devised from his own heart. Now, I'm a bit confused by this because on the one hand, he's copying this feast that's in Judah. But verse 33, it says that he just made it up. <laughs> so I guess he started out trying to imitate this worship, but it ended up with him just doing it his own way, putting his own spin to things in his own heart. And so he himself offered the, the sacrifices. He wanted to make himself the central focus of worship. Not just the priests doing this, not just the Levites, but him as the king, you know, he could do this. And so bringing the attention back to himself. Mm, what do we learn from this? I think, I think it shows his uh, insecurity. You know, the first guy, you know, problem is arrogance, but this guy is just insecure. God has already given him this kingdom God has already given him most of the tribes, but what happens is uh, he's worried. They're going to turn on him, he's going to lose everything, and therefore he needs to do something about it. He feels he needs to invent his own religion, he needs to create more support for himself, and the way to do that is to make himself the central focus of worship. And this is so sad because he's repeating the same mistakes of Solomon, creating places of high, high places of idolatry, Although in this case, I think it's in his mind, is still offering it to God, but he's still creating rival places of worship. But he's also forgetting that the only reason he has this kingdom in the first place is because God, God gave it to him. And God said, you know, if you walk before me in obedience, you know, I'll have this covenant with you, the same kind of covenant stipulations he gave with Solomon. And he says, I'll have it with you. But he takes it for granted that he needs to do something. And so he takes God's grace for granted. He tries to create his own religion of works that puts himself at the center of this worship. And, and it starts from just insecurity. The people will leave me, they'll kill me, they'll go back to the other king. 
And it's so telling, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, we can abandon God simply because we are worried that, I don't know, God will abandon us. We worry that God will take away the blessing that he's given us, forgetting that it comes by grace. And that's why we revert to a theology of works. We feel we need to do something to cement the blessing that God first gave us simply out of his grace and goodwill. So one's a picture of arrogance. The other is insecurity. Insecurity. You know, lots of uh, lessons here for leaders, I think. You know, um, not to see something that God has given us, not least even ministry, not least even blessing, as something that we've earned, but always by grace, you know, uh, focusing on God and not on the blessing or the ministry itself. And I guess... You know, holding on to it not too tightly. You know, worrying about when will be the day when I lose all this. You know, God has given it to us by grace. We should steward us. We should see how we can serve others through our positions of leadership. What was the, the advice that the old man gave to him again? If you will be a servant of this people, serve them. They will serve you forever. And, you know, thankfully, you know, none of us are like this. But Jesus is, you know, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's why he is the servant king who serves us on the cross, dying for us on the cross. And therefore he makes us, you know, his people. He gives us this ability and desire and longing to serve him and to acknowledge him as our Lord, as our king, as our savior. Yeah, uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Uh, who rules over us even now in love, and who is um, who ascended to the throne on the cross? You know, He gave us life that He might redeem us as His people. Thank you for Him. Help us to look to Him as not just as our model, but as our true King to serve Him all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening and or watching. Uh, I do apologize if you can hear the trickling tab in the background again. I'm going to listen to this later and see if it's distracting. Uh, this has been the Daily Bible Reading Show, looking at 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, take care and God bless. Bye. Bye.